Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This is the Kulavadala Sutta. This is a teaching presented by the nun Dhammadina to her former husband, also a member of the original Sangha in Visakha. going to read John's introduction. The Buddha praised Dhammadina as one of the most knowledgeable nuns of the Sangha. This is another example of the importance of women in the original Sangha. Uh, the Sakha, the questioner, is also well established in the Dhamma. So these, these aren't beginners. These are people who have heard these teachings many times. The sutta presents a complete teaching on the process of delusion that begins with self-identification and the actual experience of developing insight into the clear path to be developed to end clinging to objects, views, and ideas, and complete unbinding. As a well-informed and highly regarded member of the Buddha's Sangha, Dhammadina presented the Dhamma in a clear and direct way and free of any ego-influenced individual view. Her integrity preserved the Dhamma and provided the skillful means for Visakha to also awaken. So begin. <clears throat> Visakha is seeking clarity on self-referential views, anatta, and how self-identification with impermanent phenomena continually seeks to establish itself through clinging to all thoughts, words, objects, events, and ideas. Dhammadina. What is self-identification self as described by the Buddha? Visakha. The Buddha teaches that self-identification is established by clinging to form, clinging to feeling, clinging to perception, clinging to fabrications, and by clinging to consciousness. These five clinging aggregates are the self-identification taught by the Buddha. John's words. Anatta seeks to continually establish itself in every form, feeling, perception, mental fabrication, and indeed every thought. This is the personalization that we were talking about. That is the clinging. The Saka continues. Your answer is very helpful. What then is the origination of self-identification to form feelings, perceptions, fabrications, indeed in every thought? It is clinging Visakha that brings continual establishment of anatta, clinging born of craving accompanied by passion and delight, craving for sensual pleasure, craving for the continued establishment in this world and other realms, this is the origination of self-identification as taught by the Buddha. 
Visakha. What then is the cessation of self-identification? Ramadana says, the renunciation and remainderless fading away of the very clinging born of craving that originates the continual establishment of anatta. This is the cessation of self-identification as taught by the Buddha. This John's words, the, the renunciation and remainderless fading away of the very clinging born of craving is the sole purpose of the Eightfold Path. That is the restraint that we're practicing on contact. That's the renunciation. To recognize and abandon all fabricated views rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. This is what the Buddha awakened to and known as dependent origination. This constantly and intentionally misunderstood and misapplied teaching has resulted in much confusion and perversion of the Buddha's Dhamma and is clearly and succinctly explained here by Dhammadina. What then, dear lady, is the path or the practice leading to the cessation of self-identification that is taught by the Buddha? So here you can see this, the way that he's asking this. What is the origination? What is the cessation? Here, what is the path of practice leading to the cessation? So this is going right through the Four Noble Truths, and it's going right into the Eightfold Path. Friend Visaka, it is precisely the Noble Eightfold Path of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation that the Buddha teaches to develop the virtue, the concentration, and the wisdom required to abandon self-identification, to abandon clinging, in this case, to abandon personalization of views. Vasaka asks, is clinging the same as the five clinging aggregates? Dhammadina replies, clinging is not the same as the five clinging aggregates, Vasaka, nor is it separate. It is the nature of the five clinging aggregates to cling. It is the function of the five clinging aggregates to cling. It is the nature of anatta to cling. It is the function of anatta to cling. So form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and resultant consciousness is describing anatta. Form, feeling, perception, anatta is describing the personal experience of form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and resultant consciousness. John's words, clinging arising from ignorance is not the same as form, feelings, perceptions, fabrications, or consciousness, five clinging aggregates, nor can clinging be separated from the aggregates. What Dhammadina is teaching her husband is that clinging originates in wrong views of self in relation to the world, and once arisen is now part of the ongoing personal experience of suffering, known as five clinging aggregates. Visaka asks, how does self-identification develop? Now, here we're going to go into, this follows up beautifully with David's sutta. Those uninstructed, Dhammadina says, those uninstructed in regard to the Dhamma, run-of-the-mill people, with no regard for noble ones or those of integrity, are deluded. They believe the form to be self, or that the self possesses form. They are further deluded to believe that their self-referential feelings are the self or that their perceptions 
of self define the self, or that the fabrications that further establish the self to be the self. They assume that their self-referential thoughts establish a self. Each of these five clinging aggregates are impermanent and arise from ignorance. They are anatta. They are not self. This is how we started the day, looking at how the Buddha taught the ten understandings. The understanding of impermanence was using the example of five clinging aggregates. They are anatta. They are not self. How does self-identification not develop? That well-instructed, excuse me, the well-instructed in regard to the Dhamma, with regard for the noble ones and those with integrity, well-disciplined in their practice, do not believe form to be the self. They do not believe feelings establish or define a self, or that perception defines a self. They are free of mental fabrications, having no foundation for fabrications. They do not assume that thoughts establish a self or that the self possesses thoughts. They do not assume that consciousness is the self or that the self possesses, possesses consciousness. There is no self attached to any of these five clinging aggregates. So this again echoes what we had talked about earlier today. Um, I'm just going to read a little section of that again. Those, the well-instructed in regard to the Dhamma, with regard for the noble ones and those with integrity, or an integrated, that have integrated the Eightfold Path, are well-disciplined in their practice, do not believe form to be the self. So the Buddha's original teachings, John's words, the Buddha's original teachings are grounded in dependent origination, expressed through the Four Noble Truths, and directly experienced through the Eightfold Path. Dependent origination shows that from ignorance through 12 observable causative links, stress, confusion, and delusion develops. The well-instructed in the Buddha's Dhamma, free of anatta, have developed a non-distracted mind, bringing useful insight into reality. Wisdom has replaced ignorance, fabrication, and deluded beliefs have ended. They've integrated the Eightfold Path. Visaka then asks if the Eightfold Path is fabricated or unfabricated. And Dhammadina replies that the Eightfold Path is fabricated. This is, the Eightfold Path is fabricated, arising from form, feelings, and perceptions, as it is a teaching developed within the sphere of the impermanent phenomenal world. So this, this, is, this is important, that sort of we, we train our attention, we train our minds to, to, to remember all of these words and sequences and lists and numbers and all of these things. And we think, and we create associations based on them. Fabricated. Oh, no, I can't do that. That's bad. But here in this context, we, we, need, to, we need to understand that the Eightfold Path is fabricated. It's, it's a framework in order to gain insight into the phenomenal world. 
we use it as a teaching developed within the sphere of the impermanent phenomenal world to bring understanding to our stress and our contribution to stress. The Eightfold, these are John's words, the Eightfold Path is a path of skillful means to developing the unfabricated quality of mind of release from clinging. When awakening has occurred, the Eightfold Path is abandoned. An awakened being has integrated the three characters of wisdom, virtue, and concentration. The Arahant remains harmless to themselves and others. Their mind is resting in equanimity. The Saka then inquires if the qualities of virtue, concentration, and wisdom are developed through the Eightfold Path, or do these three qualities inspire the Eightfold Path? Dhammadhanasa replies, the Saka, the Eightfold Path is inspired by the qualities of virtue, concentration, and wisdom. Right speech, right action, and right livelihood inspire the development of heightened virtue. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation inspire the development of heightened concentration. And right view and right intention inspire and develop heightened wisdom. Asaka, what is concentration and what is the framework for right concentration? What are the requisites and how is it developed? Samadhi, non-distraction, is concentration. The framework for right concentration is the four foundations of mindfulness. Being mindful of the breath and the body, being mindful of feelings arising and passing away, being mindful of thoughts arising and passing away, and being mindful of the present quality of mind. Right effort provides the requisites for right concentration. You should always endeavor with skillful desire and persistence for the non-arising of unskillful qualities and to abandon unskillful qualities that have yet arisen. And Visaka, always endeavor with great desire and persistence to generate skillful qualities that have yet arisen and to maintain skillful qualities that have arisen. Always endeavor with great desire and persistence to generate skillful qualities that have yet arisen and to maintain skillful qualities that have arisen. So again, that's, that's the practice of the Eightfold Path. That's the purification of the mind. What are fabrications, dear lady? Dhammadina says, there are three bodily fabrications, verbal fabrications, and mental fabrications. In and out breathing are bodily fabrications, as breaths are generated from the clinging aggregate of form. Feelings and perceptions are mental fabrications, as they are generated by the clinging aggregates of feeling and perceptions. Conditioned and discursive thought and evaluation are verbal fabrications, and they are generated from the clinging aggregate of consciousness. John's words. These three fabrications are fabricated in a mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. This shows the usefulness and necessity of engaging in the Dhamma directly, 
from a conditioned mind requiring no magical intervention from rituals or any outside agency or disincarnate being. Again, speculative supposition. How then does the attainment of cessation of the feelings and perceptions develop? Dhammadina says, a well-informed person who has developed understanding through the Eightfold Path does not have a thought of attainment. Rather, their refined mind leads to the cessation of feelings and perceptions. Verbal fabrications cease, then bodily fabrications, and finally mental fabrications. So this is what we talked about in the discussion during David's Sutta, Salata Sutta. And this is what Brian and Jeff had mentioned. Um, this abandoning of thoughts of attainment, thoughts of achievement, self-congratulatory eye-making. A well-informed person who has developed understanding through the Eightfold Path does not have a thought of attainment. Rather, their refined mind leads to the cessation of feelings and perceptions, even if it's good, <coughs> even if it's positive. Verbal fabrications, <clears throat> their refined mind leads to the cessation of feelings and perceptions. Verbal fabrications cease, then bodily fabrications, and finally mental fabrications. Dhammadina continues. Hey, Matt? Yeah? I just turn my mic on. Just to make a point here, because there might be a, uh, there might be a point of confusion where in and out breathing is a fabrication. In, remember in this, um, uh, this sequential context of this particular sutta, where now, they, now the Buddha or, or Dhammadina is telling the Saka, it's because of your view of your self, your self, your self-referential view of your form that your breath becomes something other than simply an anchor uniting your mind and your body. In other words, we, we, um, we attach mystical or magical connotations to something as direct and human as our breath, such as there's a, uh, there's a vibration to the breath or something like that. Uh, and, and, and the Dhamma is just reminding Vasaki the breath is just the breath. That's, Thank you, John. That, that's important. <laughs> Did everybody catch that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John. Wait, can I just clarify? Are you are you saying that there was like a thing during that time of in and out breathing was like some kind of a ritual type thing? Well, every every I didn't see that and get a little, get a little confused. So yeah, every oh, I shouldn't say that every many many traditions um, create magical connotations to even something as simple as the breath. In other words, the breath is, if you, you can use the breath to do things other than just keeping your concentration. And so in this, again, in the sequential context of this particular sutra, Dhamma did is reminding Kasaka that, that your breath is just your breath. Don't see, don't have any self-reference to your breath. It, it might make even more sense to you again when uh, I think you've noticed is that people that, that have had a lot of uh, stress, it, it, uh, PTSD sufferers, can have a difficult time connecting to their breath because it's something 
with it. When we get tense, we tend to catch our breath. That's a fabrication that we're applying to our breath, but we, because we're seeing something more into it. And here, Vasaka is really just saying what is just your breath is just your breath. But if your mind is caught in a fabrication, you can create more out of your breath than just that. That's all it means. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to read read that one more time. A well in, a well informed person who has developed understanding through the eightfold path does not have a thought of attainment. Rather, their refined mind leads to the cessation of feelings and perceptions. Verbal fabrications cease, then bodily fabrications, and finally mental fabrications. Just going to read John's commentary here. This process directly relates to right speech and verbal fabrications, right action and bodily fabrications, and the three concentration factors, and the cessation of mental fabrications. Of course, the entire Eightfold Path is a mutually supportive practice of developing cessation. Mindfulness of right speech is often the initial insight into clinging. And I, think, I think that's something that we've all found to be true which is why right speech is so central in, in our retreat. Um, it's often the initial insight into clinging, conditioned mind gained when developing understanding through the engagement with the Eightfold Path. With mindfulness of right action, a mind deluded by its own fabrications is gently led to insight and abandoning clinging. As samadhi deepens, mindfulness of virtue and developing wisdom increases. Dhammadina continues. When a well-informed person emerges from the cessation of feelings and perceptions, they are empty of clinging, free of self-identification and conditioned mind. The well-informed person's mind inclines to seclusion and away from delight and entanglement with the world. When a well-informed person emerges from the cessation of feelings and perceptions, they are empty of clinging, free of self-identification and a conditioned mind. The well-informed person's mind inclines to seclusion and away from delight and entanglement with the world. John's words. The Buddha describes an awakened human being very simply as unbound from clinging and the quality of mind of an awakened human being as calm. This may seem rather simplistic and mundane, but when seen within the context of the Four Noble Truths, it is clearly seen that the endless cycle of wandering through samsara, anatta, subject to continuous confusion and disappointment, has been brought to cessation. The remainder of human life can be lived in lasting peace and happiness. Again, Visaka. How many kinds of feelings are there? There are only three types of feelings, Visaka. There is a pleasant feeling, painful feeling, and neutral feeling. Pleasant feeling that changes becomes painful. Painful feelings that change become pleasant. Neutral feelings may change as well to either pleasure or pain. All feelings are subject to anicca or impermanence. This goes back to what we've been talking about earlier again with the well-instructed person isn't 
running pleasant feelings or painful feelings or neutral feelings through their preferences, through their anatta, through their self-centered conditioned thinking. They're not reacting to these things. Pleasant feelings can give rise to passion obsession. Painful feelings can give rise to resistance obsession. Neutral feelings can give rise to ignorance obsession. When a well-informed person is withdrawn from the obsession of sensual fulfillment and withdrawn from unskillful qualities through meditative absorption, they abandon passion and passion obsession. Yearning for final liberation, resistance obsession is abandoned. Deepening meditative absorption, ignorance obsession is abandoned. So this is referring to jhana and jhana practice, deepening our concentration through jhana meditation. Dear lady, what then lies on the other side of ignorance? You can see the Sakas clinging mind. Clear knowing, true insight lies on the other side of ignorance. And the Saka with clear knowing comes release from clinging. From release from clinging comes complete unbinding. Dhammadina, what then lies on the other side of unbinding? The Saka, you have gone too far. Your clinging mind has demanded too many answers and your question will only lead you to more confusion and suffering. The Buddha's path, the Eightfold Path, culminates in unbinding. Is that not enough? If you wish, go to the Buddha and ask him. Let his answer be enough. The Saka was delighted in Dhammadina's teachings. He bowed to her and left for the Buddha. Finding the Buddha nearby, he sat to one side of the Buddha and recounted what Dhammadina told him. The Buddha replied, Teacher Jen is very wise and of great discernment. I would have answered your questions exactly as she has. This is how you should remember these teachings. Asaka was pleased by the Buddha's confirmation. That's the end of the sutta. So let's go around the room. John? Madam, if I could uh, exert my exalted position within the saga and go last tonight? Yes, sir. Thank you. Teacher Jen? Yes. Oh, this is... This is heavy. This is a big one. It is a big one. Jam-packed in here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I think I'm going to pass. Take noble silence. Thank you for your teaching. This was great. And um, yeah, I'm just still digging through it. Becky. Yeah, I have to sort of agree with Jen. I feel, I don't know, overwhelmed. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm Visaka right now. 
Wow. You know, I didn't, I know I've read this, this sutta. I didn't, I didn't read it right before we met tonight, but I've read it several times and I just can't believe there's this much in it. It's really a lot. So, um, yeah. I think I have to think about this one some more, go through it a little more. There's a lot of stuff that jumped out, but I just don't have the, the wherewithal to, to sort of describe it tonight. So thank you for the teaching. Thank you for reminding us about it again. And um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> thank you, Becky. Thank you. <clears throat> Jeff. I'm so glad you two said you were overwhelmed by it. <laughs> I was sitting here feeling pretty inadequate. <laughs> um, I, I do have a question, kind of a mundane question. The same paragraph, Jen, that you had a question in, uh, the, the last line of that is conditioned discursive thought and evaluation are verbal fabrications. Um, The, the, ver the verbal has got me puzzled. What, why is that considered a verbal fabrication? Thoughts lead to, to words. You know, so when we when we, when we think we're hearing, when we're thinking, we're hearing ourselves speaking. So that these these become what we say to ourselves, what we say to other people. So they become Let's require language verbal fabrications. Mm -hmm. We yeah. we think in so words. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I kind of I know the relationship. To me, it's the other way around. Words represent concepts, and concepts then allow thinking or thought or evaluation. But it, it's okay. It's a minor issue. I just. You know, it's, it's a chicken or egg thing. Yeah. You, you don't really. What what the Dalai Lama is pointing out, what the what the Dhamma points out, that whatever we hold in mind is always going to be expressed, and right. through the form and through what we're what we're saying, outwardly but also inwardly, and so that's the reference within the sutra. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm kind of parsing it a little bit too much in terms of linguistics or whatever. So. Yeah, okay, thank you. That was had me puzzled. Thank you. Dustin and and Nina. Um I was uh <laughs> to me I think in pictures often and for me I just have like this image of like a Venn diagram that keeps giving birth to like more and more bubbles. <laughs> Janice, so I actually have a lot to say about the information. It was a lot of information and it felt more like um, I felt less able to connect to it because it was a lot of definition. It felt like to me. I don't have something to add, unfortunately. 
That's okay. That's okay. I don't either. I feel like it's went over my head. <laughs> That's okay. We'll we'll do it again. Ready? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 nice. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Karen. Hey, everybody. Thank you for taking this one, Matt. <laughs> I'm going to take noble silence. Thank you. Dr. Kev. This is, is such a complete teaching, though. I mean, it, it's, it really encompasses everything. And I think it, if you had this standing on its own, this is all you need to know. And it, I think it is nice. It's, a, it's a, such a flower. Like, each concept starts, it keeps it opening from another concept, from another, from another. The question and answer is so compelling to me. But I think it, if, you know, we read it and study it, and, and the way you presented it, it was fantastic. But I think it really is complete, and uh, it explains it all. <laughs> I don't know if I could re-explain it, it's just, it's wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Brian. Hi, Matt. Um, Thank you for this. Honestly, it's like the nicest divorced couple in the history of humanity. <laughs> but I can kind of see why they're divorced. Vasaka, um, you have gone too far. Yeah, nobody likes clinging. Right? Um, for me, like what jumped out was similar to those Venn diagrams, but just, just showing how circuitous a deluded mind is. You just, you just keep running in circles in your own head. And if you don't have that right view to pierce that veil, like you're just stuck in that circle. And definitely, I, to, um, to Kevin's point, how that just stepped and walked through all of it, and you could just see those circles building and building and building was, was fantastic. So thank you for the teaching. Thank you. John. Wait, John, you want to go at the very end? I was thinking, I, I can go now. I was dealing with uh, my dog and a few things. Um, there is an awful lot in this, in this uh, and you hear me say this often, it's, it's, it's a complete... Uh, uh, drama teaching as long as you understand the foundation. But I think the reason why it seems so um, uh, difficult to grasp is that it, it, it points directly at the three marks of existence. And we have a lot of resistance in our minds to recognize that, that our own greed, our own aversion, our own ongoing deleted thinking. But that's specifically specifically what Dhammadana is teaching the Sakya. Really, it really comes down to, to, to that true Vipassana of understanding these three marks. Uh, and, it, and it is through understanding these three marks that we liberate ourselves. But there is a lot there, but it, it, it's very 
Um, it is very direct. Uh, and in the context of our retreat, when we can resolve these issues that the Saka has, and that's the, really the importance of the Sutta, when, when we resolve these issues, we then have a common peaceful mind. And so it, it's so it's such a skillful sutta that, that these are what the Saka is voicing here is the the basic resistance that we all have to, to understanding the Dhamma and developing awakening. Well, that's outstanding teaching. It's an outstanding uh, discussion as usual. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say about this is you, you see how these sutras are building on each other. Uh, this is There's a nice connection between this one and what David taught. Uh, Kevin's going to teach the Atakanagara Sutra tomorrow, uh, the single quality for awakening, which is really what Dhamma Bennett is pointing to. That once we get rid of these, these things that are arising in Visakha's mind, the result is that single quality of concentration that leads to calm. So stay tuned, the best is yet to come. <laughs> Thank you, John. teaching um, it is one of my favorites um, I can't quite make up my mind about Fasaka I mean it's clear that that uh, Dhammadina got the goods um, <clears throat> but his questions are are quite skillful and and to the point um, until you know the last step he just trips up and and goes flat on his face um, but as as an exposition of the of the whole dharma it's it's uh, it's just brilliant it is. Uh, but it's it's it it feels like a tag team thing yeah you, know? you just keep bouncing off off of each other and they're both outlining the four noble truths Vasaka's mm -hmm. outlining the four noble truths through the questions that he's asking right what is the origination? What is the cessation? How is it developed? What mm -hmm. you know, he's he's heard these before, you know, yeah. so much so that he's developed his mind to to look for those key pieces. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a team effort. Yeah, yeah. But what Ron was pointing out there too that where where Osaka goes too far. The, the significance of that is, even though the soccer understands the Dhamma, he still wants it to be more than it is. And that's what mm -hmm. takes his mind to go, okay, what's beyond right. awakening? What's beyond the common peaceful mind? Because of that, his present grasping mind, the profound nature of that is lost on him. He doesn't, he doesn't see the value in, in, in calm because he's still grasping. But I, again, it's such a significant part of this Thanks yeah. for pointing it out, Ron. Yeah, and, and Dhammadina gives him the only question, uh, the only answer that, that, that could be given. Like, don't ask the question. Yeah. 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 Thank you. And that, that's another uh, important comment and really a, a, almost an admonition that you can hear from Siddhartha through Dhammadina to Vasaka. Stop. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. The Eightfold Path is, provides that limiting factor. 
as long as we keep our practice within this framework, the framework itself stops us from doing what the Sakho compulsively wants to do. Mm-hmm. There's got to be more to it. There's got to be more of me in this. Okay. And it, it just limits it that way. Just take a breath, come back to what's occurring. That's all that's here. That's all that's ever here. Thank you. Julia. Um, thank you, Matt, for this teaching. Um, I, wrote, I, I wrote a few notes, but I did feel also somewhat overwhelmed because mm-hmm. it was a lot of information at once. That's why I started writing notes because I said I recognize that that's remarkable existence. That's the formula to know. Yeah. You know, like you could see all the different components, but um, so I tried to put it in logical order. So the first, the first thing I came to was um, that Damadina uh, seemed to be saying that ignorance begins with self-identification. That's the first thing, and um, it begins with this attachment to self. Now, the emergence of this attachment to self is the ego personality, and um, it's in the environment of impermanence, which causes suffering, confusion, and it's not personal. Um, so that was my next one that I have. Oh, um, there's nothing. These are from all other suttas, of course, that I, that yeah. would come to my mind, and and so recognizing that. I, you know, I have this extreme attachment. I have to recognize that there's nothing in this phenomenal world that can sustain an, a permanent self. Mm-hmm. And finally, the last thing I, I came to my mind was, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. That's, that's how you can, you know, it's almost like a mantra that you kind of have to tell yourself so that you don't get attached to all these mm-hmm. things and make it be a permanent you. Yeah, so. a mantra of cessation. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So that's how I simplified it, but I don't know if it's correct. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Michael. Uh, nice job, Matt. A lot of, uh, Thanks. as everyone is uh, saying, there's a lot going on here. Uh, I have a couple of things I underlined here. And I don't, these pages aren't marked, so I'll just be. A well-informed person who has developed understanding through the Eightfold Path does not have a thought of attainment. Rather, their refined mind leads to the cessation of feelings and perceptions, verbal fabrications cease from bodily fabrications, and finally, mental fabrications. This process directly relates to right speech and verbal and verbal fabrications. Anyhow. Yeah, that, that, that line is, is big. This, the point, uh, what, what I, why I found interesting about this, a well-informed person who has developed understanding through the Eightfold Path does not have a thought of attainment. So this is not someone who's been studying the Eightfold Path for a short period of time. They actually understand uh, and can pers- uh, recognize their own ignorance to a point that they can recognize desire in the present moment and they have uh, the strength at that point uh, and they're able to abandon their their desire so and we know uh, abandoning desire uh, is also something that uh, would be 
make me believe that an individual at this point is on the road to being um, stainless, um, the road to pure protection. So we're talking about someone who, uh, again, if we think about our days, when we go through our days, you know, how desire plays into every moment of our day, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a individual, again, who is at a higher place in their understanding. Uh, I believe then, uh, someone who has such control over their desire and the recognition and, again, restraint over that desire, I do believe that this person has a fully integrated eightfold path there. The fully in in integrated eightfold path is also that which would uh, support the abandonment of, of desire, obviously. So I'm just thinking of, again, it, this particular understanding or to be in the place where Visaka is, um, he's been at this a while. Uh, and it's no doubt one of the most difficult things that we, uh, I'll speak for myself, I don't speak for everybody. One of the most uh, important things for me to develop my understanding of the Dhamma is to create that stillness in my mind so that I recognize my desire in each moment. Yeah, I mean, I really like the way that you drew that out because that that line in particular is someone who has developed cessation of feelings and perceptions. Yes. The, the aggregates the, are yeah. seen as yeah. that, just the aggregates. So this this is this goes back to the first sutta of the day today, which was the ten understandings. So this is someone who has has totally embodied understanding dispassion and understanding cessation. They have understood. They're they're they're, they're because they've understood dispassion. They've understood cessation. Because they've understood dispassion, they're not. There's no thought of attainment. Exactly. There's no thought of attainment. It's not. It's not on the table. There's nothing to attain there. Because if, if I'm thinking about attaining something, then it's it's not skillful. Yeah, then I'm establishing myself as someone who can attain something. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there it is. So I really like how you drew that out. That's that was great. Thank you. Brett. Good to be here. Um, thank you for teaching. Good to hear everybody uh, talk. Um, I guess through what I just got out of it was, uh, you yeah. know, being okay with uh, what's coming up and, uh, you know, and not identifying with the aggregates and, um, and I think that's, uh, I, you know, that's where I'm at and that's where I'm at today so I can really relate to what's kind of going on when I, you know, hear something, you know, stress and then it causes the aggregates to set off and, uh, 
you know, and but not identifying them can you be okay with what's coming up, good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah. And not identify with not put a label on it, um, and be able to just be with that. And then you have the equal path to support it and not add more of it to it. So, thank you. Thank you. Mary? So, I have a question. So, is he, is he like a representation of somebody who's gone so far in his practice, but he's come up against his own resistance or his own accountability? Like, why, why, if he has all that training, so many questions still? Is he just representing any one of us that could be on the path and studying, but we're, we run up against our own resistance? Uh, that's the same sense that I got, is that it's illustrative of a tendency in our mind to continue to grasp and cling, mm -hmm. you know, continue to establish ourselves through attainment or through whatever, in that... Want to know, want to know. Yeah, got to know, got to know, got to know. Or is it doubt? Is there doubt there? Yeah, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to hear about that, and, and it's a little bit of a teaser, but... Um, if I can, if that's all right, um, you know, he's coming up against sort of these five lower fetters that we're going to yes, hear about. Fetters, yes. And those are self-identification. Those are doubt and uncertainty, grasping at rituals and common practices, sensual craving, which is a big one in this sutta, and deluded thinking. He's, he's really mixed himself a perfect cocktail of all those mm -hmm. and with a lot of craving, heavy on the craving because... You know, he's being talked out of this sort of self-identification loop and the craving and clinging and maintaining. He, you know, we draw back to it. You know, it's the nature of clinging aggregates to cling. It's the nature of clinging to further more clinging. So he's stuck in this sort of craving for what's next. He's, he's got to attain something, you know. He's, he's looking at his ex-wife. There's probably a little bit of a personal thing that he's history there, and then he... He's wondering how he can get to that. So there, there's definitely a, a lot going on in his mind. Um, but, you know, it's, you can hear the compassion coming through this, that, you know, that's the lineage of the teaching. You know, she's, she's really gentle with him. And uh, hopefully they had another conversation and <laughs> he got uh, his compass trued back again. Mm -hmm. he, seems okay. like he's, he seems like he's doubting Damadina. So Agreed. So, so yeah. Agreed. Says, so she says, "Well, listen. It's don't, a personal don't take thing, my I word. Think. Don't talk to the Buddha about yeah. it." <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> because it's, it's interesting because it's the source isn't the Buddha. It's not Ananda. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's. So I wonder if it's a literary yeah. device. No, the the source is Ananda still because Ananda was there when Pusaka went to the Buddha. The Buddha. So he knows that part. Yes, uh, but Fisaka recounted the whole conversation. And, so that's and how they established. People in that time could. So yeah, he, he just you know rolled rolled the story back a little bit in, in his in his memory, uh, but uh, this comes mm -hmm. from from Ananda. He forgot rule number one. She's always right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. He's really deluded. Duh. Yeah. <laughs>
but you know, remember that this is more, a, um, basic at all of that, and it comes back to uh, I think Harry was saying that he's uh, Vasaka really understands Adama, so where is he going off the rails? And it is that he just wants Adama to be more than that. And those of you that have been coming around North River Meditation Center for a long time. That's the primary reason why you've seen so many people come in, get very interested, and leave. It's because they come up against this very same thing. They want the Dhamma to be more. So again, this is a sutta that limits our practice and says this is what it is, and, it, and stop grasping after it to be more because a common, peaceful mind is everything. And it is, isn't it? You know, I, they, 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 I keep going back to this metaphor but when the reason why we want a bigger hut with more coconuts in it is because we think that'll bring us a common peaceful mind that we'll be safe and and in this suit it's just stop wanting it to be more than it is it's so basic and you could say it's so mundane that a mind that is rooted in grasping after continually establishing a form, a calm mind will never be enough because it's, it's just simply too damn boring. We don't want calm. You know, we, we want excitement. We want something that's going to keep me going. Mm -hmm. uh, even Lauren, I think Lauren's not on tonight, that, that question that she asked kind of infers this. There's got to be more to life than just a calm and peaceful mind. There ain't, folks. Hmm. Life with a calm mind. Is that not enough? Life with a calm mind. I spent a good half of my life uh, trying to get to the bottom of a vodka bottle because I thought that it would give me a calm and peaceful mind. And usually <clears> I got, you know, right past the calm and got to unconscious. So it's, it's not calm. And, and again, I'm using that as an example, but we do it not just with drugs and alcohol, we do it with everything. We do it with TV, we do it with Facebook, you know, we do it with relationships, we do it with shopping. We do it with Dhamma practice. And we fall into this trap that it's gotta be more than this. You know, it, it's, uh, um, and it, 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 it's, it's subtle, but it's also very obvious that that's what we're doing for ourselves and for our practice. Jane. Thank you. There have been times in my professional life where people have said, well, thank you for that information, but I'm going to ask that man over there. <laughs> it does happen. Um, no, just what John said, I mean, a common peaceful mind, is that's enough. For me, anyway, right now. Yeah. Laura? Thank you. Hi, everyone online. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about where she says abandon unskillful qualities that have yet arisen. And I was just wondering, does she mean by that once our mind develops you know, through the Eightfold Path, heightened wisdom, virtue, concentration? Um, I remember you saying, which kind of struck me at first, that the Eightfold Path is a fabrication and that you cultivate that falls away that fabrication but what exactly does she mean by unskillful qualities that have yet arisen like by present cessation and just 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 that just that in that through the practice of 
the Eightfold Path of right speech, right action, right livelihood, right view, right intention, right effort, right mindfulness, medita right meditation, unskillful mental qualities that have yet to arise cease because we're using the refined mindfulness developed the Eightfold Path to not generate those unskillful mental qualities. And you can see them coming. And you have the calm and you presence. Have, and that there the restraint comes. You, right. you, you see it coming up and you, oh, yeah. Abandon it. I'm going down the road with a big hole in it. Yeah. Hey, listen, I can go the other road. Yeah. Recognition. Recognition. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, so that, that's, that's that, you know, like we said, I think even the first night maybe of, of what is the purification of the mind? What, are, what is the purification of, of all beings? Is that practice of the Eightfold Path? That purification that comes through practicing wisdom, virtue, and concentration Ceases eye making. Ceases eye making and and leads to the cessation of unskillful mental qualities that have yet to arise. John, did you want to add something there? He said no. You're covered. You're good. David. There is therein lies the knowing too. When when you know that this is how I control my mind. Yeah. I know that if I choose wise restraint, I will avoid um, unskillful qualities of mine. Yeah, that's right. So the, the well-instructed knows cessation. Also recognizes the not-self. This is not me. Yeah. heard this a few times and I'm, I'm always interested in the, uh, the line uh, that the Eightfold Path is fabricated mm. and I know that throws people off because for lack of a better term you become very attached to this path and uh, I remember reading uh, it helped me kind of get to understand this, and they use the uh, this simile of a a man using a raft to get across the river. And once on the other side, the man doesn't keep carrying the raft; mm -hmm. he puts it down. Mm -hmm. So that was very helpful for me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it can be an excuse to abandon the whole eightfold while you're in the middle of it because hey it's fabricated so you know I should get right fabrications anyhow and that's that's and that was what we were saying earlier of, yeah. of, of like <clears throat> and and this is what how Dhammadina admonished Vasaka mm -hmm. don't you know you've gone too far don't don't and yeah, I think he was we, actually carrying the raft right right yeah, yeah. okay
Thank you, Matt. Great teaching. Um, yeah, just to continue what David was saying, it's almost as if we have the modifier now to, to know that it's right fabrication. You know, it's the right thing to hold in mind, mm -hmm. the eightfold path. We've, we've experienced it and it helps us when we're out in the world, you know, we act with virtue and, you know, we, we, we have, have our concentration and we practice and, and it keeps us calm. <laughs> it really does. It, it, when you have something like that to refer back to or use as a framework or a frame of reference as we, you know, the, the, the four foundations are, the eightfold path naturally calms you down. You have your answers. So it's, uh, it's really well laid out, Matt. And, uh, thank you for the great discussion from everybody. Thank you. think that when the Eightfold Path is integrated, then it's not a fabrication. It is a fabrication at that point. Yeah, that's when we can put the put the raft down, leave it, because we've we've integrated it. We are the raft now. Thanks, everybody. Um, we're just going to uh, finish with Metta as we always do. So find your relaxed meditation posture. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful evening. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you everyone. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. 
Thank you. Peace.